My name's Jay Williams from WME, and you're listening to Promoter 101. Hey, welcome back to Promoter 101, the podcast. It's episode 173. Today, we've got special guest co-host filling in for Luke, who's on location, Jake Leighton Pope. Jake, welcome back to the podcast. Brilliant to have you back in London, Dan, and great to be doing the podcast again. Today on the show, we feature UTA's Lance Roberts as the Nashville sessions continue. And a war story from the marketing arms, Larry Weintraub. Cool. So episode 173 starts right now. Hi, this is Heath Miller. Becca Leifer. Ed Mike Cohn. Derek Dimonstein. Jason Kupperman. Jason Miller. John Schur. Marsha Flasick. Mike Fruitman. Ricardo Baco. Peter Schwartz. Nick Storch. I'm on Promoter 101. Hey, have you missed any of the past Promoter 101 episodes? Well, don't fear. We've saved them for you for just such an emergency. You can check them all out at www.promoter101.net. Just type that into your computer device and we'll dish it straight up for you. This week, we feature a special episode. Yeah, this features the Pabst, Riverside and Turner Hall's booking team, Matt Beringer, Gary Witt and Mark Schlohheim, giving an inside look at the booking of all three venues. Plus, Kill the Eight's Aaron Rosen talks merch. And ironically, he's not at Kill the Eight anymore, but he's still Aaron Rosen and Talks merch. Yeah, and there's a war story with the Tobin Center's Aaron Zimmerman. If you've got a free moment, just drop us a review, subscribe to the Promoter 101 podcast, and tell a friend about us. It couldn't, huh? it doesn't cost you anything. Hi, this is Dave Fry welcoming you to Promoter 101. I'm from Charlottesville, Virginia, Silent Partner Management. of the week. What's happening out there in the news, Lucas? It's time for news of the week. Woodstock, it's dead. The festival put an end to its months-long ordeal on this Wednesday when the three-day event, originally scheduled for August 16th to the 18th, announced that it would no longer be in 2019. Organizer Michael Lang added that we are saddened that a series of unforeseen setbacks has made it impossible to put on the festival we imagined with the great lineup we had booked and the social engagement we are anticipating. Woodstock this year has been plagued from the start where organizers announced in January that tickets would go on sale just more than six months ago, but they did not. In April, reporting followed that struggling financial battles with former investors would prevent the festival from continuing and even as recently as last Friday, it was completely unclear whether the festival, which was intended for Watkins Glen in upstate New York, would even take place. Rumors circulated this past week that a recent contender to replace the site was the Meriwether Post Pavilion in Columbia, Maryland, which is almost 300 miles away from the original site. Seth Hurwitz from IMP, the owner of Meriwether Post Pavilion, declined to comment on this as of the recording of this podcast. Live Nation reported 73 million tickets sold in the first half of 2019 as it announced its quarterly earnings this week. That number sold is up by 4.5 million or 6% year over year. And on the whole, very positive results issued out in this earnings call. Revenues for Live Nation jumped 10% to 3.2 billion with operating income at 172 million. And that represents more than Universal Music Group's first half revenues in 2019. The ticketing division 
Ticketmaster saw the fee-bearing gross transactional value, or GTV as they call it, up 13% year-over-year, making it the highest second-quarter gross transaction value for the company in its entire history. And as a result, Ticketmaster's operations followed with great numbers, up 31%, and revenue was up 6% for the quarter. Operating income for the company's sponsorship and advertising business grew 14% year-on-year, and revenue was up 12% for the quarter. This week, artists and executives around the country announced the formation of the lobbying group Music Artists Coalition, which will advocate for and protect artists' rights. Marin Morris, Shane McAnally, and Ali Harnell here in Music City will join Irving Azoff, Dave Matthews, and Corin Capshaw as the founders of this board. Adding here, there is no music without the artists. We have a responsibility to protect the people who write the songs and create the music. Mac will be the voice and defender for all music creators, said Irving Azoff in a press statement. Emerging artists deserve the same attention that many of us had to be able to make a living creating music, and it's important in today's musicians pave the way for those in the future, added Dave Matthews. That'll do it for News of the Week. This is Whitney Bond from Triple Eight Management, reminding you to keep your mazel strong, appearing live on Promoter 101. It's time to turn the tables. As always, with Turn the Tables, after grilling you for an hour, it's only fair that I give you a chance, Larry, (laughs) to turn the tables on me. You got a question? Yeah, here's what I want to know. You know, I told a story about my company, and I basically had to sell my company because I was going to get eaten up by the big advertising agencies. You, one of my favorite legendary independent promoters, recently had to, or, or did the same thing. I'm not saying had to, did the same thing. So my question is, why did you do it? Why did you sell out? And to be very clear, we didn't have to sell. We weren't in trouble. We had no debt when we sold. But we saw opportunity. And one of the resources Live Nation has was they have the amphitheaters and we are a touring business. And as you build bands at some point, they get big enough that they need the amphitheaters. And both me and Jason saw that we were either going to lose the X or we were going to figure out how to partner up with the guys that ran the amphitheaters. And Bob Rue and Michael Rapino and Mark Campana have always been some of the most supportive people I've ever talked to in the industry. And when the opportunity came up and the acts were starting to move in that direction, it seemed like this was going to happen with us or without us. So for us to be able to have the ability to work with these guys and still be involved with the acts that we've cultivated was going to be a natural partnership. So to have their resources and their intelligence and their data behind us was going to be the best possible things for our acts in the long run and for us personally to make sure that we were still involved. So the money is nice, but it wasn't about the money. It was about the resources. So we were worried that we, at some point, we wouldn't be able to continue. And I think they're very few exceptions to the rule of Louis Messina's where you've seen Kenny be able to develop a system where he's been able to go right into the stadiums and play the arenas and avoid the amphitheaters and continue to work. It really doesn't happen for most acts. Right. Like you really, at some point you get big enough where you can play the arenas, but in the summer you want to play the amphitheaters and we would be holding the band back if we couldn't do that. And that's now something that's in our arsenal. The idea that I could find an act I fall in love with and I can buy them for the world wasn't really in play before. But now Live Nation's got boots on the ground everywhere. Right. So if there's something I see and I'm just like, yeah, we got to own this. This is going to be the future. Like I can make that play and bring everybody in. And that's exciting. This kid that used to book the Mercury Cafe in Denver 
now can look at doing a world tour. Right. And that's an awesome thing. The resources that Live Nation has given us the ability to do while still running our own company and giving us the room to run our company the way we want to, but be there when we need advice and direction and help. It's the kind of resources that you dream of. So it's an exciting thing. Good. I'm very happy for you. Congratulations. It's fantastic. Thank you so much. Larry is amazing. We are thrilled to have him here on Promoter 101. This is Peter Schwartz, WMA in New York on Promoter 101. Promoter 101 Flashbacks. Episode 71. Jared Paul. When I came out here to work for Irving Azoff about 15 years ago, and I had had that diverse experience in the arena business and getting a chance to work on all kinds of events, one of the events that actually turned my head was I had bought from Carl Fried the first ever American Idol date, uh, the first American Idol tour. He had bought the tour, uh, his company, and I bought it for myself in DC because I was programming my building in the middle of the summer. I, my wife and I watched that first season. I bought it for a lot less than I sell theater tours for now. And um, we broke with 11,000 on the first day. I think that date got to 15 plus. Very happy. And I saw in that show, in that tour, that there was a connection point between what people watch and what they might go see live. And when I was working for Irving, credit to him, he brought me out from Washington to Los Angeles, told me uh, that he thought I could make a great manager, but ultimately... Uh, he didn't give me artists. Uh, I was I was working alongside him on certain clients, but my job was to take what he had built and try to find opportunities. And he also said, I don't want you to spend your time going up to the strip and telling me how you fell in love with a band that you were going to break into the next Bruce Springsteen. And I respect that. That's really not necessarily how that company runs. Not to say he doesn't do tons of artist development, but the expectations were that I was going to find something that was a bit further along. And so one of the things I knew I needed to do was to make something happen. And uh, I look back on that experience and recognize that he he found this nice kid from D.C. and he gave me a chance. But ultimately, I needed to bear fruit and I needed to prove that that was a worthwhile decision on his part. So I made things happen in lots of different ways. One of the ways I made things happen was by looking at opportunities like a TV show that is tourable, that might need the same services as a manager, but they're not putting out records. They don't, they're not going to hire a management company, but they need some of what we sell. They need some of what our, our system can do. No different than what we were doing for Christina Aguilera Journey or the Eagles at the time. We essentially, we took a TV show and we brought it to life. That's led to quite a business for me. Dancing with the Stars, which was an arena tour at the time, is now a theater tour quite successfully, led to uh, Glee, which uh, I walked alongside uh, 20th Century Fox and Ryan Murphy and Mitch Rose, a CAA on to Big Time Rush to sing off. We've done America's Got Talent. We do Dancing with the Stars. And then we've actually created tours for people that might not necessarily be able to tour without someone like us. So Julianne and Derek Huff is an example of a tour where we created that. I mean, you know, dancers don't have hit songs. They can't just play a set list. So we work alongside them and we we do the role of a manager in terms of knowing where to play and, and how to put a tour together, but also the creative side of it. This is Marcia Vlasic, president of AGI Talent Agency on Promoter 101. Tweets of the week. I hope you're ready because it's time for the tweets of the week. When someone hangs up when you don't give them what they want and they call back moments later to discuss another date. Yeah, it's a total dick move. Hey, I will never talk to you again. 
Goodbye. Oh, shit. Hey, would you mind checking these avails for me? Just love when that happens. Total dick move. <laughs> when an agent slips and tells you who is the competing offer in, and you offer them odds on if they're ever getting the deposit in. <laughs> oh, I love that one. <laughs> I never did that. You never? No, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Your agent day is coming back to you really quick, huh? Never take the odds. Never take the odds, Jake. Okay, here's, this is a bit of agent bashing here, but there we go. That moment when the responsible agent, territorial agent, and manager all have completely different versions or visions. Both have happened to me. Everyone needs to be rowing in the same direction. That's just huge for the artist's career. Well, that'll just about do it for the tweets of the week. Surely we should tell the people who the tweets were, or are we just... Uh... <laughs> Oh, no, no, no. There's absolute protection in the Promoter 101 system. Yeah, okay. Well, you can follow that on Twitter at the Jew. Promoter 101. Promoter 101. Promoter 101. The podcast. With Steiny and the Pierce. In our feature interview this week, we feature UTA's Lance Roberts as the Nashville sessions continue. And I'm hanging out with Lance Roberts from Bobby Roberts and Associates. Thank you, Dan. It's a pleasure to be here. That's when we met. Your dad's agency, which is historic. Bobby Roberts' agency. And I remember one of the coolest things ever. We were in New York at the APATH conference. You see all the big agencies with the different booths or whatever. Bobby Roberts was the only one that had a na- that was named after him. William Morris wasn't in the booth selling to people, but Bobby Roberts was right there. Yeah, man. Selling talent to people. Your yeah. dad was an icon in this business, and you learned the business directly from him. How fucking cool is that? Yeah, he was very hands-on. He wanted to be in the middle of all of it. He always told me the key to success was just showing up. Uh, that was not the key, but a key to success was just showing up. And so he always made sure he was there. I find him to be an incredibly amazing promoter of the roster that he had. It was so great to watch him work, to just be there, to sit there and watch him in the booth. It's like the guy could sell, man. Yeah. No, he started as a as a regional agent in Michigan and got into promoting some shows. And, and that's how we ended up in Nashville. We were living in Florida at the time. I was... We moved here when I was in the second grade. He was promoting some dates on uh, Leon Russell, and Leon wanted to meet him after the show because he was really impressed with the work and asked him to move to Nashville and run his business. And so that's how we ended up here. Well, that's high praise. Mm-hmm. So you literally grew up in Nashville in the music business. 100%. When did you come to work for your dad? After high school, I was doing mailroom type stuff at the office, just trying to earn some extra change because I was going to a community college and unbeknownst to him, it was rare that I ever showed up at school. I was I got into aviation. So I would take the money that I would make at the office and go take flying lessons. Mm. And once he found out he was he was really into it he had been a pilot you know back in the 70s maybe the 80s and and he and Leon actually owned some planes together and the last plane they had got stolen from the the airport and he kind of got out of it at that point but when I got back into it he got back into the aviation too you still have a plane nope you fly at all I don't how long has it been 1998 so it's been a minute. Yeah. 21 years or something. Yeah. yeah. In those days, we were we would leave the office at two or three in the afternoon, go to the airport, get in the plane, fly, cover a show, fly back, get home two or three in the morning, go to bed, get up, do it all over again the next day. That's amazing. Flying to cover your own shows. He was a hustler. So you went to college, right? Briefly. I skipped a lot of it. <laughs> Did you come right back to the, the industry to work at the agency? Yeah, I was doing, you know, kind of the gopher work, the mailroom stuff and chasing down leads, passing them off to the agents to sell shows to different buyers that I would come across. And, and eventually, you know, when the agent wasn't available, the, the buyer would ask me some questions and I just would feel my way through it. And I started putting deals together and it's kind of how it evolved. You were an independent agent at an independent agency for how long? Because you guys wound up getting bought 
by the agency group. Correct. That was roughly 20 years. I've been with the agency group in UTA for close to five years now. Okay, so Steve Martin and Neil Warnock come in and they make this deal. And I imagine with Nick Minema, who was already running a UTA office here. Yeah, Nick, uh, when he would come to Nashville from Canada, and this was prior to him moving, he would always call, say, hey, can I come and, and have a few minutes and hang out? And I always was receptive to it and, and said, sure. So every trip he would make, he would he would come and we would hang and he'd sit in my office and and we would just talk. We became friends. And so when he did move here and opened the Nashville office of the agency group, you know, we stayed in contact and eventually got together. There was prior to this deal coming together, there was another there was another opportunity, I don't know, five, six years before this that, that we had actually had conversations about becoming the agency group and it didn't materialize. Steve Martin wasn't with the company when we did our deal. Did you guys originally talk about it when Paul Lohr had the uh, agency group office here? It's prior to that. Okay. All the different facets of the rolling up and big agency thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're at the agency group for how long before UTA comes into the picture? 12 months. It was quick. You go from being in an independent agency to being agency group Nashville, which is agency group national 2.0, right? Mm-hmm. Then within a year, suddenly agency group is UTA. Yeah. And you're at an even bigger agency. Yeah. All of these resources suddenly at your hands because you're now at a big six agency with full services across the board. You've you've got branding and sponsorship and literature and TV and film and packaging all right there for you. When originally you you were at a family shop, that's got to be mind blowing within a year of cutting that first deal. Yeah. You know, I had three business cards in 18 months, you know, three different houses, but it's been great. There was a learning curve to it. You know, it was something that I really wanted to do. We had a great roster of great artists at the Bobby Roberts Company. And like, as you said, legends, icons. And uh, but I felt that there was a ceiling on where I could go professionally because I didn't have that full suite of services. I think that that was what was most appealing to me in the initial deal with the agency group. UTA was just a bonus. It's a pretty cool thing. So in that time, Kurt Martin, let's come over, right? Yeah. Pretty big heavyweight with yep. arena headliners. Yeah. Nick's got an amazing understanding of country music, both not only in the States, but in Canada. Mm-hmm. He understands the system very well because he's interacted with all the other offices. So that's got to be a nice asset to have with a guy that wears all those different hats, has all that experience. And you, true and through, born into the business here, been here since you were a kid, grew up in the business. So the three of you guys together, working at this agency all at the same time, with all of these resources available to you, and kind of like the sky's your limit right now. You guys kind of get to do whatever you want. It is. It's an amazing crew of people that we have. That office is kind of blown up too, right? It started with a handful of people, but pretty big now. It was in there the other day. The yeah. staff looks like it's kind of exploded. It is. And that day by day, it continues to grow. We're really lucky. The future of that office looks kind of amazing too. It's like Josh Garrett and Justin Hill. It's like there's some good agents sitting right there that you know are going to be superstars. Yeah. Yeah. No, they're, they're fun to work with. And You know, Josh came with me from the Bobby Roberts company. In fact, a lot of the staff there came with me from the Bobby Roberts company. They've they've all stayed and and we've all grown together. It's been a cool thing. What resources are available to you now that you're like, man, this would have been so cool if I would have had 10 years ago, if I could have like had these things available to me that you're like every day, you're like, wow, this is day and night. Everything that you just really said, the film, the television, the branding, the digital department. I mean, the list just goes on and on and on. And Truly, I, you know, I think that I, I don't know how essential that would have been 15 years ago to what I was doing in business. But today it, you have to have it. 
You have to have it that, that with social media, with these multi-hyphenated artists, it's necessary to be able to service these clients on all levels. Multi-hyphenated. I like that. Multi-hyphenated. They do it all. So Nashville is not just a country town anymore. 20 years ago, it was one focus, country and western, mm -hmm. maybe bluegrass, mm -hmm. which wasn't really talked about all that much at that moment. But Americana has sprung out of this part of the country in a massive way. And rock and roll has landed on Nashville true and through. I mean, you got guys like Jack White and you got Black Keys that are all based here and Kings of Leon do stuff here, right? So it's like you got this world that rock and roll springs from here in a massive way. It's not just country anymore. This is a full-on music city that does everything. How's that changed the vibe here? You're right. It was a country music town. I think that as somebody said this when I was in London a few months ago, in the way that they were presenting country music specifically, over there was Nashville music, not labeling it as country, but music that comes out of this ecosystem here. And I thought that that was, that was really a great description of, because there is so much variety that's coming out of this town, and it is a incubator for just great talent, great varieties, fusions of different kinds of music. Nashville music. Nashville music, yeah. Maybe they'll change the uh, hot chicken to the Nashville hot chicken, country hot chicken. <laughs> Maybe not. Maybe not. It doesn't quite have the same ring to it, does it? No. Do you like hot chicken? I do. What's your favorite here? What's your go-to? I'm not a big hot guy. Really? So, no. No, I'm a mild guy. So more KFC? Yeah. Well, no. No, I don't. I, I'm not a big fried chicken guy. Where do you do the meat in three? Arnold's. All right. Arnold's the play. Okay. Yeah. All right. So tell me about your first concert. What was the first show you saw that you can remember? Kiss and Ted Nugent. Wow. That's a show. At Municipal Auditorium. Wow. What year? Do you remember? Mm, let's see. It was late 80s. Motor late City 80s, Man, I, man. Yeah, I was in junior high. I had a garage band. Were they wearing the makeup at the time? No. Oh, no. There was a guy that actually worked for my father's business that played bass for Ted. And so he got us tickets to that show. Nice. When, he, when he wasn't booking dates, he was a bass player for Ted Nugent. David Kaswini, you know him. David Kaswini yeah. played bass for Nugent? Yeah. Floored. That's amazing. I didn't realize he was that good. I knew he played. I didn't realize. Yeah. Yeah. I remember I was in junior high and one of the guys in the band was Johnny Cash's nephew, I think. So one time we went over to Johnny's to rehearse. He had this studio room at his at his house in Hendersonville. And we just went over there and jammed one day. Growing up in the city and growing up in the family, you did like meeting icons. Couldn't have been that rare. Just in the city, you can bump into them just going for meeting three. Yeah. Like it's rare to be at, at Arnold's when you're not somewhere two inches from someone with multiple platinum hits. Yeah. Or do you just get used to that living in the city where it's like maybe you're not so starstruck? There's a way you act around those people because you see them all the time. It's just like they're people. Yeah. It's uh, where I live north of town in Hendersonville. That was kind of the, the hotbed for the 70s and 80s. That's where all the country stars lived. Johnny Cash, George Jones, Leon Russell, on and on. And then as the city built out and, and Franklin became on the map, you know, a lot of today's stars are, are south of Nashville. But it was no big deal to be at the grocery store and, you know, you see this person or that person. They're with their and, kids at the soccer game. Right. They're part of the community. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. All right. So what's the goal moving forward? I mean, you're at this massive agency with all those tools in the tool chest right now. Country has never been bigger. We're aggressively developing talent. 
in Nashville. We've got a, a new artist, Jimmy Allen, that just came off at three week number one. Second single's out at radio. We've got another new artist, Matt Stell, who just debuted on Media Base Charts. He's in the 30s. We've got a really fun project, a guy named Blanco Brown, who's blown up virally number one across the globe on, on many of the viral playlists, uh, really all over the world. And, you know, we just continue to build out our roster and building out our team. There's no ceiling for us. The conglomeration and the roll-ups have changed the vibe in the city quite a bit. Bigger teams, bigger players, global business, right? So now you're at this agency that's the top six agency in the world, offices all over the world, stadium tours, arena tours, you guys are involved with shows that play the market multiple times a week, sometimes multiple shows in a night. Correct. You guys are just doing so much volume. Does it get crazy to the point where it's like it's kind of all blends together? There's just so much going on. Yeah, no, we're able to stay on top of it. It's a lot of fun. You know, it's introduced me personally to a lot of new music. We have a great team of people that support one another. And especially when our colleagues from the, the coastal offices reach out or, or London and want some show coverage, we're there. That's so cool. Now, you get to hear the other offices constantly, obviously. Every day. Does that crossbreeding of different offices and different cultures bring new ideas and new talents to the table for you? Yeah, I think more now than ever. You know, I was just talking about Blanco, and that's in the AC hip-hop space. So Jeremy Holgerson is uh, part of that project out of New York. We've got some colleagues in L.A. that are on that. You know, it's just, it's a great team effort. We all work extremely well together. It's got to be a lot of fun. It's something I never experienced until, you know, this acquisition happened. You got any advice for some of the younger kids coming up in the business on career longevity? You know, I can, I can only speak from my own personal experience. And, and again, it, you know, it goes back to that lesson that I learned early on. You know, you, you have to show up. If you don't show up, you're going to miss the opportunity. If you don't ask... You, you're not going to get the answer. You have to be aggressive. You have to hustle. And, and it's all about relationships. One takeaway or one of the takeaways for me is the network of friends that I have all around the world. And I couldn't have that network in any other job. Okay, let's do a little bit of uh, getting to know you personally now that we've done the history, right? Okay. Favorite movie? Oh, geez. I don't know. There's, there's, you know, so many great classics. Shawshank Redemption. Oh, there's a legend. Yeah. Nice. Favorite food? Italian. Not bad at all. Is there a favorite book? No. Not a reader? Not a reader. I'm a listener. Any regrets? None. Now that you're a father, how has that changed your priorities as far as work life mix? Or has it? Uh, it? It really hasn't. I've always been family first. That was instilled in me from the onset. And even, you know, flashing back to the Bobby Roberts company, I remember growing up because, uh, you know, my dad was gone a lot. But 90% of the time he was there for dinner every night. Now he may go right back out to work. But he made it home. He made it home. And I feel like that's really been instilled in me. I can't thank you enough for making time and talking to us today. I'm Promoter 101, Lance. It's my honor. I hate that we're at the end of Promoter 101. I love Promoter 101. It's a great resource for learning, and you've been a great host. Oh, man, I appreciate it. Lance is a great agent, always a straight shooter, and a joy to work with. Thrilled to have him right here on Promoter 101. Hi, it's Marcy Allen, president of Mac Presents, and honored to be on Promoter 101. As always, you can write to us at steinypromoter101.net. Feel free to tell us what is on your mind. We'll be back Monday, 5 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, 7 p.m. Central, and 8 p.m. on the Eastern Seaboard. Yeah, join us then when we feature Emporium Presents partner and co-founder Jason Zink. Until then, we're wishing you sold-out shows for the week to come. Cheers. Call your mother. 
or as we like to say in the UK, call your mum. This is Paul Lohr at New Frontier Touring in Nashville, Tennessee, and you're listening to Promoter 101. 